Coming up, a change at the top of the AFC. The Rams move up while the Cowboys slip in the NFC. And Antonio Brown did what? The winners, losers, and all the playoff possibilities as we inch closer to the final week of the NFL season. It's another dreaded rematch in college football as both Alabama and Georgia will meet in the national championship game in what was a snooze fest of a college football playoff on New Year's Eve. Look who's atop the Eastern Conference in the NBA. None other than the Chicago Bulls as they'll highlight what's happening in the association. The NHL's Winter Classic was record-setting, but not in a way that you'd expect as the league tries to get some traction onto their season. The first podcast of 2022 is on deck and ready for takeoff. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rolls Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? I hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. We've made it. Another year has arrived. 2022 is in full effect. And before I begin, I want to wish everyone a happy, healthy, prosperous, and super productive new year. Don't let anything or anyone slow you down from taking your life to the next level. I'm not a believer in resolutions, people, so whatever fits and whatever works for you, I hope the next 362 days is filled with an abundance of peace, love, joy, happiness, productivity, and of course, gratitude, which is what I can say for those of you who are tuned in and ready to hear some sports talk, to start off your year as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me for now 231 episodes, I welcome you guys and gals back. The first Monday, January the 3rd in the year of our Lord, 2022. The J Reels What's the Deal segment, what to expect around this podcast is as follows. The Winter Classic was just that. Well, maybe not the classic part, but the temperature was minus 6 to start as the Blues were victorious over the Wild on Saturday night. I'll take a trip on the ice as the NHL does its best to get their season back on track. I'll also get into the college football where not a lot of confetti and fireworks that most of us were expecting on New Year's Eve when it comes to the college football playoff. But unfortunately, another rematch is in store as Alabama took care of business versus Cincinnati and Georgia just dominated Michigan on their way to a national championship game, which will be next Monday night. I'll recap both games, look ahead as to whether Georgia will be able to exercise those demons against their SEC rival. Also, the NBA, where the Bulls have won seven straight and have zoomed to the top of the standings in the Eastern Conference, while the Nets need an attitude adjustment. So we'll talk about that and deliver the latest of what's happening in the NBA. I'll have all that, including my hero and zero of the week. We are now 17 games. Just one more week away from closing out this regular season. And it's interesting because the NFL has made this year to be the biggest season ever. 
Obviously, by extending the season for one more game, for having that 17th game, and now a week 18, which will start this coming Saturday with a couple of games before week 17 concludes tonight in Pittsburgh in a game that does have some playoff implications, and I'll get to that a little bit later on. But as I've said throughout the course of this year, and we've had some moments throughout the course of the season, and yeah, maybe I should have saved this to next week, but this regular season to the NFL cannot end fast enough. It just couldn't. It's almost as if this biggest regular season was one that the NFL was banking on and one that everybody had anticipated to see what that extra week would bring and maybe some very juicy and interesting storylines that would head into this final week and maybe have some disruption as far as the playoff picture is concerned. And pretty much what you have up until this point is both conferences are for the most part set. Yeah, some seating here and there, but not a lot of drama as we head into this final week. And I get it that I'm one to easily pound on the NFL or at least try to throw some ice cold water on them, but I kind of hate to say it. They've done it to themselves. Just because it's bigger doesn't mean that it's better. And even with adding the extra playoff team, and we saw that last year, of course, with the year of COVID and being able to expand the wild card round for an extra game in each of the conferences and what they've done this year by not only having the two games on Saturday, the three games Sunday, and then Monday night to have a wild card weekend into the week, which, ugh, please, do we actually really need to see that? But this is what it's come down to. It's come down to a handful of games, which it usually does every year. I get that. But not a lot of drama, not a lot of buildup. There are some games that you're going to pay attention to, as I said, when it comes to seedings. And yes, the bottom of the AFC and NFC playoff picture, what it's going to boil down here in this last week to go in the season. But call me crazy. I guess I'm the only one out there that just cannot wait to, for the playoffs to begin and for the season 10. Maybe I should have saved this for next week to really put the icing on the tombstone for this 2021 NFL season. But if you've listened to me over the last couple of months and knowing that even at the halfway point or pretty much the week after, because considering that it's not 16 games, it's 17 and around that week 9, 10 area, where we took a look at the first half and to me was very underwhelming. The second half, all right, had its moments like any season would have, but nothing that's stellar, nothing that just shoots out of a spectacular or overwhelming season where we just anticipate and can't wait for the playoffs to begin. And as football fans, we understand that we're going to be there come that first wildcard game a week from this coming Saturday at 4.30. But when we just take a whole look at what should have been the end of the regular season and getting ready for the playoffs this coming weekend, we still have to labor one more week of this nonsense. And with that, let's get to the winners and losers of Week 17. The first winner, and rightfully so, has to go to the Arizona Cardinals. They were mired in a three-game losing streak. A team that had the top seed as early as three weeks ago and looked like they were just fading fast toward the bottom of the NFC playoff picture. Now, mind you, they did advance and make it to the postseason after even a loss last week, but with other teams in the conference losing, they secured their spot. 
to the dance. But yesterday, going to Dallas after the Cowboys shellacked the Washington football team the week before in Sunday Night Football for Arizona to pretty much be in control the whole game. Yes, Dallas did come back and Arizona did hang on at the end. But Kyler Murray, of course, all you heard throughout the course of the broadcast was how well he does in that stadium from his high school days to college and now the pros. And they needed that win in the worst way. They have Seattle coming into their building this coming weekend. Not a game to take off by any stretch, but at least for this week, the Cardinals were able to exhale a little bit as a lot of the pressure was mounting with the coach, Cliff Kingsbury, and even with the quarterback in Kyler Murray, and with all the injuries that this team has had over the course of the season, not having DeAndre Hopkins, him being in and out of the lineup, J.J. Watt, of course, long gone, the veteran defensive lineman. So they righted the ship, at least for this week, and in hopes to get another win under their belt to go into the postseason with some momentum. So they're my winner number one. My second winner has to go to the Las Vegas Raiders, at 6-7, and seven, pretty much left for dead in the AFC. They had that crazy win in Cleveland. Remember, the game that was supposed to be on a Saturday night was pushed to a Monday night. They came out of there victorious with a last-second field goal. Then last week, they just dominated the Broncos and pretty much put them out of their misery. And then yesterday, on the road again, Daniel Carlson does it with another field goal as time expired. This is after the Colts came back to tie the game. Colts had to come from behind down 13-3. to They took a 17-13 lead to where the Raiders then took the lead early in the fourth quarter. Midway through that final frame, they were able to tie the game, the Colts, and then Carlson with his heroics. And the Colts actually tied the game with about a minute, what was it, 30 to go. They're looking to push the game into overtime, but Carlson, more heroics on the road, kicking that field goal. And now the Raiders have put themselves in a position where they control their own playoff destiny. And they have a game on Sunday night, which will be the final game of the regular season, as they will host the Los Angeles Chargers in a pretty much win-or-go-home scenario for both of these teams. And it'll be fascinating to see as we'll take a look at the Week 18 schedule a little bit later on. But kudos to the Raiders and what they've done. And we all know how their season has gone with the coach John Gruden being out, Henry Ruggs, that terrible incident. And a few other things that have happened throughout the course of their season. But here they are, right now, smelling the roses and looking pretty as they have their sights set on the postseason in the AFC. Those are my two winners there. And now for my losers of the week. And I hate to do this to them because they had such a great run here. Mind you that they beat up on bad teams and bad quarterbacks. But for the Miami Dolphins to go into Tennessee and be a no-show after starting their season 1-7... and They win seven in a row, the only team in NFL history to do that in a regular season. But here they are, they go to Tennessee, and we knew that this winning streak was going to come to an end. There was no way that they were going to run the table pretty much from week eight all the way to the end of the season. And mind you, their number in Vegas, as far as their over-under win total, was nine and a half. And I didn't sweat one bit, even though the Dolphins were clicking off win after win after win in November and December. But knowing that they had to not only win in Tennessee yesterday, but also beat New England at home, which was definitely possible and doable, to get to 10-7 and and maybe get into the postseason, I knew that there was no way they were going to win nine in a row and then just go right into the tournament and start their wild card, wherever that may be, because it would have been on the road considering that the Bills are the team that's going to win the AFC East. But they put up a stinker in Tennessee 
weather was terrible, driving rainstorm, and former, not necessarily teammate, but former player of the Dolphins in one Ryan Tannehill was able to just storm right through his former team. Not really impressive overall as far as the Dolphin comeback when you look at this season that right now they're at 8-8 eight and eight and they could still end up being a game over 500, but that is a moral victory to say the least. So the Miami Dolphins and even with Tannehill and the type of day he had, which was nothing really to write home about, 13 for 18, 120 yards, two touchdowns. And you had Deontay Foreman had a big game on the ground, which he killed a lot of the clock, which pretty much set the Dolphins in a tailspin. And for the Dolphins, valiant in their comeback to make themselves even part of the playoff mix. And remember, this was on the heels of a Monday night game since we weren't on the air. One that could put you to sleep in the first five minutes. But they did win in New Orleans. They were able to put themselves in this position to, if they were able to win this game in Tennessee, to go home with a chance to make it to the postseason. But that will not be the case as they've been eliminated and their season goes kaput in Nashville. So they're my loser number one. And loser number two, and I'm going to have a different take on this, people, but of course, the light's going to be shined and it's usually on a team. But it's going to be Antonio Brown, but for this reason. We understand the squabble that he had on the sidelines where he took off his pads and jersey and he threw it at the bench. Then he took off his undershirt and his gloves and threw it into the crowd before walking off with the peace sign and finger up in the air, topless, going into the tunnel and off into the New York night because he didn't even make it to the airport to fly back with his team as he was stated in the postgame by Coach Bruce Arians that he's no longer a buck. But it's easy to pound Antonio Brown and for all of his peccadillos, especially since he left Pittsburgh. And that's where this whole thing started. When we look at the end of the 2018 season, the jealousy, if you want to call it, between him and Juju Smith-Schuster, pointing fingers at him, him being sent home on the last day of the regular season where the Steelers were still in the playoff hunt, In that last day, but remember, that was the game where, although they beat the Bengals on that last day, but Cleveland was unable to secure a victory in Baltimore to where the Ravens went on to the postseason and the Steelers went marching home. Pretty much from that point on, that's when Antonio Brown's football life has just spiraled out of control. Granted that he was part of the Bucs last year, was able to win a Super Bowl, caught a touchdown in the Super Bowl, and everything seemed to be riding high. We talked a few weeks ago about the whole scenario with the fake vaccination card, him being suspended on top of him being injured. And then now you had yesterday to where his behavior and his antics were front and center for the whole world to see. And by all means, probably the end of his NFL career. But with all that being said, I truly do hope that he comes to his senses, that he is able to really sought out what has transpired here, not only just in the last few hours or pretty much 24 hours since this incident had happened, but to take a look at his life in the last few years and admit that he does need help. Because when we look at everything that's happened off the field, and granted, we weren't there to see and we could speculate and be that Monday morning quarterback to say, all right, is all this stuff true? It must be considering his track record whether he's throwing stuff off of a balcony in Sunny Isles Beach to where he was able to 
get a settlement out of court with the building and the people that were involved there. We understand about the other people, the women that he was accused of being sexually assaulted to a woman regarding some paintings that I believe was a, I don't know if she was a masseuse or a yoga teacher, whatever it was, but you had that incident. You had the incident with the movers. You had the fake vaccination card, all this stuff. And we could look from afar to say, wow, this guy really needs help. But after what we saw yesterday, and again, for everyone to see, one more time, we can only hope that he will regroup himself, take that long, cold, hard look in the mirror, and for him to say, all right, I need to seek some treatment here, will go a long way in his recovery. Not only just forget about the NFL, but to recover and become a productive member of society. Because as we've seen here, this is self-destruction at the forefront. And if you're an owner or GM of an NFL team, there's no way that you could sign this guy without him going out to seek that proper help. And that's all I'm going to say there. I truly hope that. And I'm sure there's a lot of people criticizing him from coast to coast and pounding on him. And that display yesterday obviously is unforgivable. It's inexplicable. There isn't anything. It's even indefensible. No professional athlete should act like that in any way, shape, form, or manner. But in the process, he does need to find himself and in the process, have somebody also help him guide his way through this part of his life into the latter part of his life because who knows if he's going to have a football life. And as of right now, and I would think even going into next year, and I don't have a crystal ball, but until he is 100% healthy, ready, willing, able to not only be productive as a member of society, but also as a teammate and to be on a team that's going to rally around him and support him on top of that. But until he gets that, I can't see him being on an NFL field at any point, whether it's this year or this upcoming season, come September or training camp, you name it. All right, I'm going to go through the games that matter, people. I'm not going to talk about the Bears winning 29-3 over the Giants. There's no need to even get into that game or even a game like San Francisco beating Houston 23-7. Now, there was a moment there where Houston had the lead and Trey Lance was all over the place, but he was able to regroup. They're not play great, but again, it is the Houston Texans, so they keep their playoff hopes alive. Even the Sunday night game, and that was a disaster to say the least because Kirk Cousins, who had to go on the COVID list, and we all know he's unvaccinated. So whatever starch that was going to be in the game was completely taken out of. And to me, the Vikings were a dead team walking. Yes, were they still mathematically alive, of course, but I didn't take them seriously, even if Cousins was healthy and ready to play. But if you stuck and watched that game, even if you're my guy, Headstyle, which I know he checked out of the season a while ago, or Kev the Viking fan, That was one that you might as well watch something else or read a book or even go to sleep to start off your year on a right note, or at least on a good note for that matter. But 37 to 10, as the Green Bay Packers now secured the home field 
advantage throughout the NFC for the second year in a row. Let's see if it takes them to a Super Bowl. But as we all know, this is one wild and crazy NFL season and it is unpredictable to say the least. So some of those games I'm not going to get into. Jacksonville, New England, 50-10. to 10. All right, so New England's going to make it to the postseason. No shock there, but Jacksonville, long season. And I get it that it's been such an up and down year for Trevor Lawrence. And I know a lot of people are going to look at that and say, wow, number one overall, this guy was supposed to be a can't miss. And he still has a lot of work ahead of him. Granted, he has a team that does not have a lot of talent. But I'm sure if you're a Jaguar fan, you must be scratching your head a little bit wondering if this is going to be the guy that's going to lead you to the promised land at some point in the next four, five, six years. Even Buffalo, they were actually down in this game to Atlanta, but pretty much cruised in the second half. They win 29-15 as they're one step closer to winning the AFC East. A lot of these games... Denver against the LA Chargers, they took control of this game early on. Remember, they lost to the Texans the week before, so you know they were salivating at the chance to get back out there to show and prove. And they've canceled Denver's opportunity to get to the playoffs with their win out at SoFi. New Orleans beats Carolina. What's there to discuss there? I know that the Saints are still trying to hang in there by the hairs on their chinny-chin-chin, but they beat the hapless Carolina Panthers in the Superdome some of these other games of note now let's talk about Tampa and the Jets of course the Antonio Brown fiasco was the highlight but remember this team was down 24-10 in the game and when Brown left that's when they were on their march and I didn't watch the game but I believe just trying to put the piece together that's when they're on their march to get back in this game And they did so by getting that touchdown there late in the third quarter. And then all you got to do when you look at the Jets season in a nutshell was them late in the game at 24-20 and fourth and two, I get it. It's a scenario where if you get the first down, you can pretty much lock the game. Fine. I understand if you kick a field goal there and you leave all that time on the clock for Tom Brady, chances are he's going to go down the field and away we go. Understood. But here's the problem. That play call, whatever that was, a sneak, Zach Wilson, whatever, was an abomination. And even the coach Robert Sala said in the postgame, what was he thinking? Just an awful play call. And then what happens? It doesn't matter. Same stadium, different uniform. Tom Brady goes down and ruins and spoils and breaks the hearts of Jet fans all throughout the tri-state area with that touchdown in the sideline. What was it? About 20-some-odd seconds to go. And the Buccaneers with everything that happened in that third quarter and even with Brown going off into the sunset. And one thing I didn't talk about, which I'll say real quick, Bruce Arians did ask Antonio Brown to go into the game twice and he refused. Now, who knows what was happening there? I believe up until that time, he did have five targets or even five catches for that matter. And it's not as if he was totally taken out of the game plan. But when he refused to go into the game and Mike Evans looked like he tried to calm him down or at least tried to simmer him a little bit, that's when Brown imploded and the rest is history. But for... The Buccaneers to come out of MetLife with a win there to keep themselves in pace with the upper echelon of the NFC as far as a two-seed is concerned. But 
what could you say if you're the Bucks, you live to see another day despite everything that took place there in MetLife and you could just kind of wonder the psyche of this team moving forward, which I'll get to in a little bit. The Eagles were able to win down in the nation's capital. They were down 14-6 at the half, but they were able to take the lead and then, of course, win 20-16 to as they upend the Washington football team and now at 9-7 and put themselves in a good position to make it to the dance. And I know at the very end there, there was some video that was caught with Jalen Hurts going off the field and some fans that were pressed up against the railing and then it all keeled over. Thankfully, it didn't fall on Jalen Hurts. Could you imagine if that would have been the case? Talk about a disaster waiting to happen, but luckily it was averted. Even Jalen Hurts was a good soldier. We're taking some pictures with the fans that fell. Thankfully, it didn't get worse than what it was. Fans didn't jump onto the field there, which could have been chaotic to say the least. But that was pretty much the highlight of a game that I didn't really follow or watch, but I know that the incident at the very end of the game was one that superseded anything that happened. But give it up for the Eagles and what they've done this year. A team that uncertainty at the quarterback position, obviously their issues with injuries and COVID, etc. Remember, they had that tough loss to the Giants there. I forgot what week it was. And since then, they've played excellent. I believe they've actually won since that game where they had the drop by Jalen Rager at the end. And that was a game where Jalen Hurts was awful. But they had an opportunity to actually win that game. And since then, they've won four in a row. Granted, they beat Washington twice along the way. The Giants and the Jets. And the Giant game, of course, was last week in their building at Lincoln Financial. So you could only play the teams that are in front of you. And they were able to capitalize to where they're 9-7. and seven, And they're looking good as far as making it into the playoffs. Detroit and Seattle, I'm not going to get into. I know a lot of talk about the possible last game at home for Russell Wilson. That remains to be seen come this offseason. But other than that, that's what you have here in a Week 17, which will culminate tonight in Pittsburgh. Speaking of last games, where you may get the final game of a one Ben Roethlisberger at Heinz Field. And in all likelihood, it looks like it's pointing in that direction as he stated earlier this week. Once it's official, you know you're going to get my two cents on Ben and his career. I will say this, as a Steeler fan, it's going to be tough because to come anywhere close to filling that guy's shoes is going to be next to impossible. But let's see if the Steelers can win tonight. The Browns, with everything that happened there yesterday, with the Chargers winning and with the Raiders winning, have knocked them out of the postseason. So I'm sure that the Browns are going to do whatever it takes to do what they did last January on a Sunday night in a wildcard round to do everything and anything to knock the Steelers out for two Januaries in a row. So that's going to be their goal. That's going to be what they're fixated on. And for the Steelers, they need a lot of help. Obviously, they got to win these two games upcoming. Tonight and the game Sunday in Baltimore, who knows if Lamar Jackson comes back. He didn't come back yesterday, and in fact, that's one game I overlooked, so let me talk about that real quick, people. The Rams and Matthew Stafford, who played terrible in the game, did not do well. Two interceptions, a fumble, one was a pick six from 17 yards out by uh, Chuck Clark, but they were able to find a way. They had a big fourth down there where Odell Beckham Jr. just outstretched his arms to keep the drive alive, and then on the next play, had the touchdown catch as the Rams were able to get out of Baltimore with a 20-19 win. And as of right now, they were able to get the 
two seed in the NFC because of the loss earlier, as I talked about, more so with Arizona than with Dallas. And I know that the Cowboy fans and a lot of the talk in the locker room was about the referees and how Scott Novak's crew, which has been awful all year, and they've been the public enemy number one as far as targeted for terrible officiating in the sport. But the Cowboys went from number two and they dropped down to number four in the NFC with their loss at home to the Cardinals to where the Rams now have the two seed and could pretty much host all the way up until the NFC Championship game, which would set up a rematch for them to go back to Lambeau, if that's the case, as they lost there earlier in the regular season. But back to the Steelers, so they'd have to win their two games and then they would have to have the loser, doesn't matter which one, Raiders or the Chargers on the Sunday night, but the key is the Colts losing in Jacksonville. And who knows? Can Jacksonville have a little January magic at home to close out their season? Now, the Colts have been formidable. The Colts have been tough. Now, they did lose a tough game at home yesterday, which kept the Steeler chances afloat. Can you expect it? I'm going to say no. Because... There are games and times, and I get it. The Chargers, when they lost to the Texans, and that was huge when you look at the Steelers trying to get into the postseason. Because if they would have won that game, chances are they would have been out. Now, I haven't done all the permutations on it, but still, Chargers would have 10 wins right now, and they would have been in the sixth seed, and then you have the Raiders and Colts, where the Raiders will obviously have the seventh spot, but then you have the Colts and then Pittsburgh, etc. So, It's highly unlikely, but there is a possibility. And I'm not putting 100% faith in that the Steelers will make it into the playoffs. And it's just how the season's broke down for them. I just talked about Jacksonville just a few minutes ago saying that, well, they've had a long season. The quarterback has not played well. They don't have key skill position players, etc. And now all of a sudden, I'm going to expect them to win a... 20 to 17 type game? Uh, could it happen? Of course. The NFL, anything could happen. But I know the Colts, they got this loss out of the way and you would think it's going to be a steady dose of Jonathan Taylor to ride the Colts into the postseason. And mind you, this comes on the heels of Carson Wentz. If it wasn't for the protocols being revised to where early in the week, it looked like he was going to sit out this game But because even with an unvaccinated player, if for five days they keep themselves quarantined and bring back some negative tests along the way, then he'll be raring to go. And as you saw, he was on the field there yesterday against the Raiders. And lastly, how could I forget? Here I am going through all these games and I'm getting ready to jump to week 18. The game of the day was in Cincinnati where the Kansas City Chiefs were riding high on a big winning streak, they've won eight in a row. And then the Bengals, who are also coming in hot after beating Baltimore the week before, was a mano a mano, probably a game that when we look back on this season, could be the highlight game of the year. To where the Chiefs jumped out to a 14-0 lead, and then also had a 28-14 lead in Cincinnati. But they weren't able to muster up a lot of offense in the second half, only a field goal. And the Burrow to Jamar Chase connection looks like it's going to be a deadly one for years to come as Jamar Chase 
based on his performance last week, which I believe was 7 for 125. This week was 11 for 266 and three touchdowns. A dynamic offensive player. And Burrow, who last week threw for 525, threw for over 400 this week as the Bengals prevailed. Now, that final stretch was interesting in the fourth quarter to where they had to convert a third and 27 at 31-31 where Burrow connected with Chase on the sideline and picked on Charvarius Ward, the corner of the Chiefs, all afternoon. But then as we get to first and goal, smart by the Bengals to try to sneak it in on a couple of draws from the quarterback were stopped there so they could eat up a couple of their timeouts or one in particular. And then on third and goal, they tried to run it in. They got stopped. So they went for it on fourth and goal. And mind you, it was at fourth and goal. I want to say off the top of my head, it had to be about 40-something seconds to go. So what happened? They actually went for it on fourth down and they end up getting a hands to the face by the defensive player. I forgot who it was off the top of my head. So where they get a new set of downs where they could have kicked the field goal there. But I guess their logic was is that they wanted to try to get into the end zone because they didn't want to leave any time on the clock for Mahomes where even at 40-something seconds and with no timeouts, I get it. All it takes is one big pass play to any one of the guys, Byron Pringle or even, of course, Tyreek Hill. Risky to say the least, but they were able to get out after that first down. They kicked the field goal as time expired, and the Bengals win the AFC North, beat the Chiefs, and now will host a home game in a couple of weeks. And give it up for the Bengals. They're a team that has the offensive pieces in place. But as we know with that organization, they do not spend money. And as we also know, they've had these one-year, I don't want to say one-year wonders, but they've had these years where they've had success and it fizzles out in the postseason and then they have to do it all over again the next year and for whatever the reason, it never becomes seamless. It always seems to be fragmented to where it's injuries or first-place schedule and that's what the Bengals are going to have come next year. So they're going to face the Chiefs. They're going to face Buffalo. And obviously they're going to face the top seed in the South, which would be Tennessee. So that's for next year to worry about if you're a Bengal fan. But right now, riding high, congratulations to my peeps, Brian Murray, Risa Saslow, my guy Jai Shields, and everybody in Bengal country is singing Who Day until the cows come home. And now as we look ahead to a week 18 where we have two games on a Saturday, a 4.30 and 8.15 ESPN ABC to where we have Kansas City and Denver's the first game and Dallas at Philadelphia is your night game. Now, they had to put some games there, understood. These games in the grand scheme of things, do they really mean much? That's only if other teams lose. So if Tennessee were to lose in their final game, against the Houston Texans on the road. And mind you, remember, Houston beat them in their building early this year, so you know they're going to want to exact some revenge. So unless Tennessee loses, that's going to be a game of note, but nobody's going to really care because we're not going to know the outcome until the following day if Kansas City wins, and if Tennessee loses, then Kansas City will have the one seed again. But 
The Saturday games, I'm not really too crazy about. I understand Philadelphia, Dallas, and Philly, the rivalry in Philly, looking to secure their spot into the postseason, understood. But that's not anything that I'm going to be crazy about. Sunday, this is what you have here when we look at the key games of the day. We're going to look at San Francisco against the LA Rams. The Rams have not beaten San Francisco going back to 2018. And in order for San Francisco to make it to the postseason, they're going to need to win this game. So that's going to be a big game to look at. Obviously, the Sunday night game between the Chargers at Raiders is huge. Winner goes into the postseason. Loser goes home. I understand these other games are for seeding. Whether it's the Jets at Buffalo, New England, Miami, of course, division prospects that will lie there. Also, the scenario with Cincinnati, if they beat Cleveland and who knows what happens with Kansas City in the Saturday games, how that may affect seeding in the AFC. Other than that, you have very little to no drama other than the Sunday night game when we get to this final week. I wish I had more to say, people. And I understand that the Dino Wolf football fan, and I am too, so it's not as if I just jumped on the scene when it comes to the NFL. I've been watching the NFL going back to the mid-70s. But for the rabbit football fan, they can't even argue the fact that this season hasn't been what I'm sure a lot of people were hoping for whether it be that drama, whether it be that intensity, whether it be those signature games, whether it be this playoff chase, etc. Because when we look at the standings, there really isn't much to discuss other than what I've already discussed to this point. When we look at the AFC, as I said, Kansas City losing yesterday, Tennessee now has the one seed, and if they win, they'll be hosting throughout the AFC playoffs. Followed by Kansas City, Cincinnati. If Cincinnati wins and KC loses, guess what? Cincinnati will be a two seed. Buffalo, as it is right now, they're number four. That could change if the Bengals lose and Buffalo could get a three seed. We get it. All this is not like a couple of years ago where you had the first two teams in each conference have a bye where they're going to have a week off And we'll see you in a divisional round. But to have a two-seed is important because even though you'll have a wild-card game at home, but if you win that, you'll also have a divisional playoff game at home before maybe even going to a championship game, which obviously will be on the road unless the one-seed gets knocked off. So with Tennessee, as of right now, Kansas City, Cincinnati, Buffalo, New England, then you have Indianapolis and the Chargers, Right now are your 6th and 7th seed with Baltimore still alive and we talked about Pittsburgh's prospects. Baltimore's still alive for this reason. They have tiebreakers over both the Chargers and Colts, not the Raiders. So their hope is similar to the Steelers where they would have to have to win next week against Pittsburgh and have the Colts and Chargers to lose. And that's well, they'll sneak in through the back door and make it into the playoffs because of those tiebreaker advantages, like I said, with the Colts and Chargers. Other than that, 
their chances of making it to the playoffs, similar to the Steelers, are going to be very slim. So that's your AFC. And then the NFC, we talked about Green Bay. They already have home field throughout. Rams right now currently are number two. Tampa number three. Dallas number four. Remember, Tampa has a tiebreaker with Dallas, but they have a game and a half lead. So even if the Bucks were to lose next week at home to Carolina and Dallas does beat Philly, that doesn't mean anything because they will have the edge and have the three seed. The Rams right now currently at number two where they'll host the Niners in a very fascinating game because again, they got to get over that hump and who knows what that will mean if they lose and if Tampa, remember they lost to the Rams earlier this season so they lose a tiebreaker to the Rams right off the bat but then you have Dallas thrown into the mix so if they're all 12-5 and you do have to look at the conference record and the Cowboys with a win and with a Ram loss they'll be back up to number two because of that whole jumbled mix with Tampa. No, let me let me take that back here. If Dallas wins and the Rams lose, both of those teams will be at 12 and 5. Now, if Tampa, of course, wins, they'll be 13 and 4. They'll have a two seed. So let's get that out of the way. So if the Rams and Dallas both finish at 12 and 5. The Rams will go to 4, Dallas will be at 3 because of the better conference record that the Cowboys will have. Then you have Arizona who's already clinched the playoff spot. They look like they're going to be entrenched. Although if they win and the Rams lose, they win on a tiebreaker, I believe, based on common opponent. And that will be because Arizona beat San Francisco twice. And if the Rams lose, they would have lost to San Francisco twice. So that's also something to keep in mind. Because the Rams could could fall as far as five. And Arizona could jump to anywhere between three or four. Depending on where the other teams land when the dust settles next Sunday. Then you have Philadelphia, who's already secured a playoff spot. But they're currently seventh. Where San Francisco, who has not clinched as of yet, reside in the sixth spot. But of course, they're ahead of Philadelphia because they beat them earlier this year. But because the Saints are still alive, that's where they still haven't clinched the playoff spot as of yet. The Niners, that is. And that could change if the Saints win and the Niners lose. There's tiebreakers abound there. I don't believe the Niners and Saints played each other this year. I'd have to go back and think because off the top of my head, I do not know. But when I pull up the Saints schedule, yeah, there has to be a common opponent that's involved because the Saints have not played the 49ers this year. So that's where the Saints are still alive and they could sneak in to the playoffs with a win against the... Atlanta Falcons and the Falcons who knows that's a rivalry game they're probably going to be up for that just to put their season to rest and in their own building so we'll see how that shakes down come Sunday one o'clock and that pretty much wraps up your NFL season for next week because I'm not going to get into these other games Chicago Minnesota Green Bay Detroit Uh, you're going down the list but a few notes before we move on Of course, on Tuesday, the death of John Madden, where on Christmas Day, Fox had aired the 
John Madden documentary. And then here it was, not even three days later, he dies out in his home in California, 85 years of age. I'm sure you've heard and seen, read a ton of stuff about John Madden. And not that I need to wax poetic more on what he meant to the game of football, not only as a coach, as a broadcaster, the iconic video game, as we all know. Just very sad that just a few days after that, he had left us. But with he having that impact in the sport, a voice that will forever be immortal, it's amazing to think how he's more known as a broadcaster and even as him being the face of the video game than he was as a coach. And we know his exploits as a coach. 103 wins, 103-37-1, I believe it was, regular season. He did win Super Bowl 11 over the Minnesota Vikings, those vicious Raider teams of the 70s, the broadcasting duo with he and Pat Summerall, all those games on CBS. Then later on, Fox, also ABC, then NBC for Monday and Sunday Night Football. The video game, we all know it's going to go on forever, just like the Jordan sneakers, it doesn't matter. It could be Madden 75, 50 years from now, people are still still going to resonate, I'm sure, after we're long gone. And then real quick, it's interesting because I had an encounter with John Madden, true story, back in 94 that I want to share. My two cousins, my cousin JD, who was my former radio partner, and his brother Josh, my other cousin, we drove to Pittsburgh September 94 because the opening game that year was Dallas at Pittsburgh, and my cousin JD is an enormous Cowboy fan. So when we drove out there, that Saturday, we happened to be outside of Three Rivers Stadium, and we saw the Madden Cruiser. We said to ourselves, oh, geez, we're seeing it live in living color. Now, we're 25 years old at the time. So when we see the Madden Cruiser, we're thinking, oh, is John around? Where could he be? He's probably in the stadium getting ready to do his interviews the day before with players and stuff. And then sure enough, he must have been hanging out in the Cruiser. He walks out. And my old camcorder, and I had the footage somewhere. If I could somehow dig it up and I don't have that camera, I have to get the actual player and who knows if they even make that anymore. This was going back to the days of High 8 video, if you remember that. But we actually were able to get a couple of minutes with him where, you know, shook his hand. My cousin JD were videotaping myself and Josh and we even joked about the Madden video game, how he didn't give a certain player, I think it was Rod Woodson if I'm not mistaken off the top of our heads, how he didn't give him a 99 after he just won Defensive Player of the Year. And how could you do that? And his exact words, kid you not, oh shit. (laughs) So he had a good laugh over that, but he was very accommodating for those couple minutes and that's my one Madden story. So may he rest in peace. Thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to the entire Madden family. And then we had another loss over the weekend in former Denver Bronco, New York Giant coach, longtime Cowboy player going back to the 60s, Dan Reeves who died at the age of 77 in his home in Atlanta. And he had a very, he had an excellent career. Granted that he didn't win a Super Bowl as a head coach, but he took, think about this. He took four different teams to the Super Bowl, those three Bronco teams, and then the one Atlanta team, the Dirty Bird team in 98, where he faced his former team in the Broncos and he lost Super Bowl 33 that year. Or was it 34? I believe it was 34. If I'm not mistaken, let me get my Super Bowls right. No, it's 33 because 34 was Tennessee and St. Louis. 
So Dan Reeves, 77 years of age, thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to him as another big focal point and big time player and coach who's had a long history in the NFL. He leaves us way too soon. So that closes out the NFL and now let's transition to college football and a highly anticipated Final Four with the first game being Cincinnati and Alabama and that's where I'll start. Well, on a whole, both of these games were not good. Certainly, what we were expecting were some competitive games. We were hoping that we would have some games in the fourth quarter that were within one score. And when we talk about the first game, I said it last week that I'd be shocked if Cincinnati were to be within one score in the fourth quarter. And obviously that wasn't the case. Now, Cincinnati did not embarrass themselves, but they showed that there were boys playing amongst men. Uh, That's all you could cut it when we talk about this game on a whole. Alabama, first drive, went down, scored. Okay, they did get a field goal. They marched down the field and they got into the red zone. But the Bama defense swarmed Desmond Ritter, the quarterback, all day long. And if they would have put up seven there, not to say that the game would have been interesting going into the second half and into the fourth quarter, but at least for that moment, it would have changed the complexion of the game. 7-7, maybe Bama be on the heels a little bit. They weren't expecting that right hand to come from Cincinnati right out of the gate. But as it was, the play of the game was at 10-3, where Cincinnati punted deep into Alabama territory and the muff by JoJo Earl, where if Cincinnati would have recovered, who knows, they would have an opportunity to maybe punch it into the end zone with a short field, 10-10, as you get close to the half. As it was, the Crimson Tide went down the field and then the touchdown pass, Bryce Young to Ja'Cory Brooks, 17-3, and that was pretty much a game. Because after that, even though Cincinnati had the ball start of the third quarter, they did go down the field to kick a field goal, but then they were nowhere to be found after that. And the game was not in doubt or wasn't really competitive from a standpoint or where you thought that Cincinnati was going to mount the comeback and make it interesting into the fourth quarter. But to me, that muff punt was the turning point of the game to where Cincinnati did not recover and then Alabama took it down the length of the field and that was your ball game. And then in the nightcap, which I thought was going to be a lot more interesting considering what Michigan had done toward the end of their season. And not to get break that down, beating Ohio State, etc. Yeah, we all know in the Big Ten Championship. But Michigan, for whatever the reason, their magic dust went kaput into the Miami night because Georgia looked like the team that we saw throughout the whole regular season and made a statement. To where Stetson Bennett was very good in the game. Michigan could not get on track as far as their offense goes. And Georgia pretty much from the start of the game dominated the line of scrimmage and just pummeled Michigan into the Miami night to a 34-11 final score. And mind you, the final score 27-6. Bama beating Cincinnati. I didn't close that part. Brian Robinson had a monster game on the ground. Let me throw that in there as well. 206 yards or 204 yards on 26 carries. But as far as Michigan goes, just a big giant thud. What could you say? It was almost as if beating Ohio State 
and just getting to this point, not to say that that was enough or satisfying, but if you're a Michigan fan and left you wanting more, and even if you would have lost a close game, let's say it was 34-27 and Georgia had the ball at the end and they were able to punch it to the end zone, yes, it would have been gut-wrenching, it would have been heartbreaking, it would have been tough, but you know what? You were in the game. This game was 14-0, then 17-0, and then before you know it, it was 24-3 and the game was over. There was no way that Georgia was going to give up that. Even at 14-0, I had a feeling the game was over. And I even tweeted it. I said, oh, geez, we're going to have a rematch, Alabama and Georgia again, and I'm not ready for it. And it's just a shame because when we looked at both of these games, we knew that Cincinnati was going into the deep end of the pool. We knew that it was going to be tough sledding for them. Again, they didn't embarrass themselves, but they did not belong in the same field with Alabama, let's face it. And Michigan, to me, I think this was more about Kirby Smart getting his team focused, prepared, trying to wash off the stink of that SEC championship game, and they did so in resounding fashion. Their defense was stellar. Their offense did quite a bit in that first half. Again, Stetson Bennett, a guy who's a lot of people are going to look at as one that you have to question whether or not he's going to be able to take his team to a promised land. He's not a guy a la Joe Burrow who's going to be a number one pick come in the 2022 NFL draft, but he was able to silence the critics, doubt the naysayers, and here they are, one of the last two teams standing for a national title game next Monday. Now, I will not make a prediction or preview the game. I'll wait till the podcast next week. But here are the storylines going into next week. For Alabama, I mean, what could you say? They have to be favored in this game, I would think, at least by a touchdown. I don't even know what the spread is, and I could care less, but they have to be considerable favorites considering what took place a month ago in the SEC Championship game and their Alabama looking to defend their title. But as Kirby Smart said in the postgame, he didn't want to celebrate this. He's like, yes, it's a step, but we're not where we want to be, which was great because the last thing, if you're Georgia, you want to puff your chest out thinking, aha, we're back, we arrived, we're ready to go. Because you have to slay Mount Crimson Tide in order for you to get that national title. And I hope they get it. I hope they do it. I hope whatever he's put, Kirby Smart that is, into his players' minds and his heads continues to push that message through. Don't read any of the press clippings. Yes, they dominated in the game against Michigan. Yes, they went running away. Yes, it was no contest, etc. But now you have to exercise some demons and big ones. Not only in SEC championship games, but also in championship games. As it was four years ago. And now is your opportunity to do it. So I'll preview the game next week. I'll get into who I think will win. I'll say right now, I am praying that somehow, someway, Georgia wins this game. But I don't think it's going to happen. More on that next week. All right, Lionel, let's turn our attention to the hardwood and get into some talk about the association where this past week you had a little changing of the guard at the top of the Eastern Conference to where the Bulls, and they've been ravaged by COVID, as we all know. But DeMar DeRozan, 
has put on his cape and he's looked like Superman here to the tune of not one, but two in back-to-back games, game-clinching three-pointers to secure victory for the Bulls. One was a la like a Vince Carter floating fadeaway deep past the three-point arc. And the Bulls at 24-10 and 10, at the current moment are your number one top spot in the Eastern Conference. Part of that is because the Brooklyn Nets, who had a little bit of a laissez-faire moment over the weekend, losing to the Clippers to where Kevin Durant came out and said that they need an attitude adjustment based on their performance, losing to the Clippers where you had no Paul George, obviously no Kawhi Leonard, and even no Tyron Lue, who he's been put into the health and safety protocols for COVID to where they had guys like Terrence Mann and Xavier Moon make big shots over the Nets. And Kevin Durant expresses displeasure in the postgame. And this is one thing about a veteran team like the Nets that you have to worry about and even wonder to a certain extent that where they are expected to win and all the expectations that surround this team that just because they go up against a team that's undermanned and maybe not as talented that they could just lace up their shoes tip off at the start of the game and it's an automatic victory. Not the case. So now you have to wonder whether or not that the psyche of this team, just a little bit, needs to be questioned here. And again, it's not as if they have a coach and not to knock Steve Nash, but it's not as if they have a guy on that sidelines that you could 100% absolutely trust in as far as to rally the troops, get his players to perform at a high level, night in, Night out. Not just the big game, not just the big opponent, not just the TNT game where the Lakers are coming in or the Bucks or a team like that. No. Night in, night out that they could go ahead and just beat the teams that they know that not only that they should beat, but beat them handily. And granted, the Clippers, we understand that even without their big guns in the lineup, they're still a team that has to be reckoned with and has to be respected because they are a team that even when they're healthy, could make some noise in the Western Conference, but the Nets, you have to wonder long-term on whether or not what's going to be between their ears and in their chest in a big moment. And I'm not talking about the Kevin Durant or the, even the James Hardens of the world, but it's also the other players too. Just because they have the big superstars on the team doesn't mean that it's going to be an automatic. And even with their third superstar, who looks like they're going to, he's going to be playing come Wednesday night, in Indiana for the first time this year. And remember, Kyrie Irving's going to play in all the road games except for the Garden and in Toronto. And I don't believe they played at Golden State just yet, so he won't be playing in San Francisco as well. But now that you add that dynamic into the mix, that's also something else that Steve Nash is going to have to deal with. And I'm sure he'll deal with that well. But when it comes to getting his team prepared, when it comes to getting his team ready for those type of opponents to where the Nets just not only step on their necks, but also put them away whenever the time, place of that game calls for it. So that's one thing you have to wonder for the Nets moving forward. But other than that, the East, even with the Nets, and they've lost two in a row here, they lost to the Sixers. I know that was also a little bit in the news where Joel Embiid, was telling his team to go home and point to the exits as that happened the other way around where Kevin Durant 
did that to the Nets, I believe, in the game earlier this year at the Barclays Center. And we know Embiid likes to talk and he likes to yuck it up. And we all know he's a all-NBA player, but we'd like to see him shut up a little bit. But again, I guess he gave the Nets a taste of their own medicine in that game Thursday night. All right, so be it. So you have that to deal with if you're a Net fan. But the rest of the conference, pretty much still the same here. I know Cleveland suffered a big loss there with Ricky Rubio tearing his ACL early in the week to where they were able to acquire Rajon Rondo to fill his spot on the roster. And that could be a blessing or curse because you bring in a guy like Rondo who has all that experience, championship experience, which I'm sure will be great for the young team and the young players on that team to learn and grow throughout the rest of the season. But then the curse is, is that because Rondo is such a cerebral player, will the young guns on that team be able to rally around that or will Rondo just look at that and kind of dance to his own beat there? I understand he has a guy like Kevin Love in his back pocket, who, as we all know, is the veteran on that team. But that could go south if things start to go south. And if Rondo looks at the landscape there with the Cavs, and who knows, maybe on his way out there before the All-Star break. And that's not to say he's going to automatically do that, or, but who knows? Because we know Rondo is that type of player where he's a savant, And if he doesn't see the other guys buying into that, he could easily check out. So that's one to watch there. Other than that, everything is pretty much status quo there in the East. And same for the West. I know Golden State and Phoenix are now flip-flop there at the top of the division. Or excuse me, top of the conference. Memphis, as we know, has played well. And they're playing Brooklyn tonight here in the Barclays Center. So you have a very good matchup there for those who want to look for something to watch other than the Monday night game. So Memphis at Brooklyn is something to keep an eye on. The Lakers still trying to get their footing here as they're now 500 as we approach the halfway point of the regular season. Other than that, nothing really to go crazy about or nothing really to sink your teeth into other than the few points that I made about the Bulls and even the Nets for that matter when it comes to the association now that we're into the new year and the NBA suffered another loss here similar to what the NFL had just gone through as we talked about with John Madden Dan Reeves even at Betty White on New Year's Eve I got to give her a little shine I understand she's not sports related but boy we had a tough week when it comes to Passing of legendary figures and another one for the Boston Celtics, a one Sam Jones, another prolific winner on all those championship teams in the 50s and 60s. We know Sam as being just a clutch player, very underrated when it comes to all time because when you look at those Celtic teams, it's going to be Russell, it's going to be Kuzi, it's going to be Heinsohn, even Havlicek later on. Sam Jones, just like Casey Jones, gets lost in that shuffle. And Casey Jones, who made a ton of big shots in championship games and finals games, things of that nature, died at the age of 88 in his home. I believe it was on Thursday. And those old Celtics are now starting to, unfortunately, click off. We've seen Casey Jones last Christmas. Tommy Heinsohn, as we know. Bob Cousy's still around. He's in his 90s, and God bless him. He's still here, so is Bill Russell, as we know, but... We're not even talking about the Celtics of the 80s when we look at guys like even Dennis Johnson. I know he perished way too young, 
But you still have a lot of those guys that are still around, even from those 50s and 60s teams. But Sam Jones, thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to him and his family. So another legendary figure transitions. Uh, I tell you, what more can be said here, man? Hopefully this is not going to the pattern of 2020, that's for sure, when it comes to losing the greats of the game. As far as college basketball, there's nothing really to discuss there. It's pretty much status quo. Baylor's still number one going into their fourth straight week. So all is quiet on the college basketball front, but we know that now the conference play is going to really kick into high gear now that we're into the month of January. So we'll continue to pay attention. Games being postponed due to COVID, especially with UCLA and USC. You haven't seen them on the docket the last week or so. But we'll... Pay attention to that as we get deeper into the month. And as far as the NHL goes, you had the Winter Classic there on Saturday night between the Blues and Wild. And wild it was when it comes to the weather because the temperature at the start of the game was at minus 6. And by the end of the night, it was at minus 10 with a wind chill of minus 25 degrees. So I'm wondering if my guy, Headstyle, was one of the few that braved the elements to watch that Winter Classic, and was it a classic at the end of the day? I can't say it was, but the game was high scoring, 6-4 to four for the St. Louis Blues as they had a five-goal second period, which pretty much put them in the clear to a 6-4 victory, and the setting was as frigid and as cold as it possibly could be. You see the ice forming on the beards of some of these players, obviously all the breath of smoke into the air, the setting that you would want in a Winter Classic, maybe a little bit too bitter when it comes to the temperatures, but anytime you get one of those outdoor games and you have the elements and it's just a sight to behold, and granted, it was at night, not during the day as we've seen over the last decade and a half, but, and the game wasn't broadcast on NBC, so if you were wondering where the game was, it was on TNT, no more NBC games as we know it. But that was the highlight of the week. I know some of these teams are still trying to get their footing or we'll say their skating back because we have had some delays or postponements of games last week. So not really much to sink our teeth into when it comes to some of these games. But other than that, you haven't really had a lot here since play has resumed last week. Teams that are certainly looking to get themselves primed and ready for a second half where... You still have quite a few games to go because of the postponements of a lot of these games. Some teams have played in upwards of 34 games. The lowest you have here, the Bruins, have played 28. Same for the Islanders, who had a couple of games postponed. And when we take a look at the landscape, a lot of it is pretty much status quo. I know the Blues now are in first place based on what they did over the last couple of days here. As we talked about, and I know the Wild have hit a big streak, losing five in a row. But other than that, with Carolina winning four in a row to get themselves closer to the Capitals and they've leapfrogged over the Rangers in the Metropolitan Division, a lot of it, we're going to have to wait and see here as these teams make up these games, try to catch up, and as we know, these players aren't going to go to the Olympics to make up these games, hopefully over the course of those three weeks, and then we could see how this shakes down over the course of the next few weeks, month, even into that winter break, which would have been for the NHL, as they try to do their best to make up these games and try to get their season on track. 
So not much there to discuss with the NHL. I know Edmonton has been in town. I always like to see the greats of the game, Connor McDavid. They lost to New Jersey on Saturday, excuse me, on Friday, New Year's Eve, and they lost to the Islanders in overtime on Saturday. And tonight they'll complete their quest here, the tri-state area, by playing the Rangers in a very interesting matchup. So we'll take a look at that. But besides that, people, that's what I got. Baseball, as we know, is on the back burner. You wonder whether or not the players and the owners are going to start to reconvene to talk after the new year or are they going to stagger this that remains to be seen so we have that to pay attention to even though it's pretty much low on the sports rung considering that nothing is really come about over the last couple of weeks so with that being said people let's get right to it my hero and zero of the week my hero of the week goes to Nadia Popovici who is she you ask She's a medical student from the Seattle area who noticed a mole on the back of Vancouver Canucks assistant equipment manager, Brian Red Hamilton. She was at a game to where she was able to get his attention by banging on the glass while typing in a message on her phone saying that the mole on the back of his neck was cancerous. Sure enough, he got it checked out and it happened to be a malignant melanoma phase two that the... Mole on the outside has not permeated into the inner layer of his skin. So therefore, he was able to get it removed. And because it was on the outer and it wasn't able to penetrate into his body, because of that, this woman was able to pretty much save him from a disaster somewhere down the road. And because of her mentioning this to the Canucks and obviously being in the building at that time out in Seattle... They jointly offered a $10,000 scholarship to cover her medical school expenses because I believe she's actually graduated and now is going to grad school. So talk about a hero, to say the least, to where this stranger out of nowhere trying to get the attention of an equipment manager. Wasn't a player, wasn't a coach. Noticed it. Had the wherewithal to type a message and to show the equipment manager. And what happens? Gets it checked. It was malignant. Gets it removed. And all is well to where this woman, 22 years of age, gets a $10,000 scholarship. I don't know what other better story or better way to start off 2022 than that story. So she is by far my hero of the week. And my zero of the week goes to Rockets guard Kevin Porter Jr. for walking out on his team after halftime when a discussion on the bench with assistant coach John Lucas turned heated during the first half of a game on Saturday night. You could tell he was frustrated and voices displeasure to the point to where he went into the locker room at halftime, showered, got dressed, and left the arena. And here we were just talking about Antonio Brown earlier in the podcast, and you got to wonder, this was a guy that was a number one pick with the Cavaliers, Had some run-ins with the Cavs during his time there. Was traded in that blockbuster deal where James Harden went to the Nets. And then Porter went to Houston to where Jared Allen went to Cleveland. And we all know the pieces and everybody that was traded amongst those teams. But here he was, not happy, left the arena. You got to wonder whether or not what's his mental state. That's of the utmost importance. But... Because of that, and for him to just storm out and drive off into the night without making a mention, not a professional move, not the way to handle things. I understand he's a young kid, he's got to learn, but still, somebody's going to have to get in his head to kind of get it straightened out because as talented as he is, 
these behavior issues certainly need to be curtailed. So, unfortunately, my guy, Kevin Porter Jr., you are my zero of the week. And that'll wrap up episode 231. As I said last week, and I'll say this week, thank you so much for downloading, streaming, listening to this podcast. As you well know, without you guys, I would still be here. But without your participation, whether you have just started listening to me, if this is your first time, 10 time, 100, 200, or 231st time, I welcome you guys with open arms. And again, I do not take your participation for granted. Thank you so much because we all know there's a zillion outlets where you can get your sports from. But knowing that you get it here as well as wherever else you may get it, it's an honor and it certainly is a privilege to bring my focus, my thoughts and opinions and analysis to the forefront. So by that, I do appreciate you guys and I don't take your support or following lightly. If you haven't done so, Please subscribe, rate, review this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. You know the deal. Apple, Google, Speaker, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. I want to increase the visibility of this podcast. I want to become a household name, people. If you haven't heard throughout this podcast, this is what I love to do. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA. I'll get to that later on. But if you haven't done so, please throw me a few stars. Write a review. I would greatly appreciate it. If you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, or praise, you could do so at any of the following on Instagram, J Reels or the J Reels Podcast. On Twitter, J Reels One, just a number. On Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page, or the old fashioned way at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Hit me up. I'll be sure to follow up with you ASAP. And if you want to support this endeavor, you could do so by going to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. That's P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy. Whatever you want to contribute, I would enormously and appreciate it to no end because what that's going to do is put forth to the resources of this podcast whether it's the upkeep of the website the production the equipment anything and everything to keep this endeavor afloat it's going to go 100% to that because just like I mentioned a minute ago this is what I love to do people I've been following sports pretty much since birth. I love to discuss it. I love to get into all the little intricacies, the drama, more so on the field than off. But all of my analysis, my opinions, hot takes, whatever you want to call it, on anything and everything that's happening in the world of the diamond, the ice, the gridiron, the hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, octagon, boxing ring, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, The J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Happy New Year. Enjoy. Get your year off to a good start. And keep it riding out until the end of this year because, as we all know, time will just keep on ticking. So don't delay. Get out there. Do what makes your heart content. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast... On the flip, baby.